Hello and welcome to the Mobile Home Park Expert Podcast. I'm Jason Sroten, joined here by the legend in the mobile home park industry, Glenn Esterson. Glenn, how are you? I'm doing fabulous, my man. It's another glorious day here in North Carolina. <laughs> Absolutely. There's worse places to be for sure. Today on the show, Glenn and I were just about, I was going to get in on my first deal and we're going to talk about that deal. It was a really interesting property. We were almost there and we were starting to talk about, well, I was starting to get into how do you really buy this thing? How do you buy a mobile home park or an RV park? Like that was, it was time for us to do that. And Glenn and I were thinking about, you know, what kind of information can we give people today? And we said, well, this information, let's go through the deal. Let's tell people about what happened, where it was, and what would have happened if we would have purchased it. So, Glenn, let's start at the top. Tell sure. me about this deal that you found and why you liked it and where we were at within what happened. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, the premise, you know, of, of us this whole time has been trying to find your park. And so sort of the topic on this this episode is going to be about, you know, how to actually buy a, a mobile home park. Uh, or in this case, it was a, a, an RV park that had some, you know, permanent tenants type of thing. Um and and this was a really really sexy deal. We've been we've been hunting far and wide trying to find that perfect thing that would be, you know, Jason, you know, kind of lifestyle fitting type of, you know, and and it's 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 not the easiest to do. And 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 I had a client of mine call me who I've transacted with before out of the blue, you know, a couple months ago, and said, Hey, Glenn, I'm thinking about selling my park. And you know, we got to talking, and I said, Geez, this this is a really nice deal. And to, to let you guys know what it was, it was a waterfront park uh, that was about a, a 80 something spaces of active that can be expanded to about 150 spaces uh, with with uh, uh, RV tenants that lived there. Well, that rented year round, but didn't live there year round. Um, and there was no amenities and it was, you know, no frills things, but the location was fabulous. The pricing seemed to be kind of, you know, in a world that I guess makes sense. And, you know, we, 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 we started digging in. The guy had good books and records. I've known the, the gentleman for years. And I, you know, tell Jason about this deal. And his ears definitely perked up. You definitely got kind of like, ooh, this, is, this one's finally interesting. Well, it's cool and, because it was an opportunity to build something creatively in what we feel, you know, I'm very bullish on RV. I really believe that because of the inventory that was sold during the pandemic, we're in for a decade of RV growth. And so- and so I was super psyched on it. And I thought it would be a really fun thing to do that we could go with our families and it could be like, uh, Hey, let's meet up at the camp and yeah. go fishing. And I just, yeah. the, it was, and that's what this place was, was meant for. It's like a family campground for fishermen pretty much, but it was a really nice one. It had a beautiful house right on the water. It had a 300 foot pier. It had a, uh, you know, boat docks, a boat ramp, all that kind of really nice stuff. Um, and the cash flow was there, you know, granted it was, it was thin, because it's been underperforming because of the operator, which to us felt like a lot of upside because there wasn't even a website for this. RV. Yeah. And we were talking about putting RV rental on location. So families could come and just stay in them if they wanted to. We yep. talked about boat rentals, kayak rentals, fishing charters, building something that would get people to come like a really cool, cool playground that yep. like had all this funky giant slide or something, you know, yep. That's what was cool about it. Cause you don't, 
you know, for me, that's what's the unsexy part of mobile home parks is that marketing allure isn't there. You really, it's, it's a blessing for the business that they don't have to spend a lot of money on marketing, but I feel like the resort idea was just so fun. It was very attractive. And once in a blue moon, things pencil out, you know, and this one kind of penciled out. So one of the first steps of, of doing a deal, you know, is of course, you know, finding a deal, right? So this deal kind of landed in our lap. Um, and, and we've been actively looking for you. So we've narrowed in kind of our focus of what does and doesn't quite work for our personal uh, lifestyles, if you will, and, and our budgets, of course. Um, so the next step was getting the, the owner to send us all the books and records, you know, that he was willing to share. And, and thankfully, he was willing to share everything he had. So we, we were able to do a real deep dive and, and go through the underwriting. Now, the park had been sold you know, he only bought it a year and a half ago and he bought it from a mom and pop and, and he was a mom and pop and it was still kind of underperforming, but the rents were growing, um, which was nice. And so we were able to model it to a point where, you know, on entry, it would have been, you know, about a 6% return, which isn't very, very sexy, but that's it, kind of what the market is nowadays. Um, and, but the upside, once we under, finally got to understanding what the upside looked like, even without all the frills of extras, uh, I mean, it was it was a tremendous gain. It was, you know, essentially a 20 cap deal once you get it up to there. So that checked the boxes first. You know, the infrastructure was good. The books and records were good enough to get financed. So the, the next step was now that we have a number that we could, you know, theoretically work around was can we get this thing financed? You know, because, you know, we can't come out of pocket cash. We're not those kind of buyers. Right. We have to go get a bank and, and you know, get them to do a deal with us. So. I'm not kidding you when I say I must have called 50 different banks to get a loan on this thing. Um, and I got down to three three banks. Uh, one of them was was a local bank, and they actually came up with the most attractive terms. Um, so, you know, it, and this would not have been an agency deal, uh, but a community bank deal, th- this thing made a lot of sense for it. And we got a very attractive quote. We, we got you approved, and we were able to, to, to move forward. Um, so what was the next step after that? Well, now we got some skin a little bit in the game. We got time. We got some, you know, uh, some energy going here and, and thinking that, hey, we might actually be onto something. So so I drove down to the park. It's about two hours from where I live and, and spent the afternoon at the park and got to see kind of how how it operates. Walk around, look for all the all the all the, the, the red flags that I like to look for. And, and, you know, there wasn't too many to see. There wasn't much, much to be concerned of. The one big concern was that it was in a flood zone, um, but no kidding. It's directly on the water and it's an RV park and all the, you know, all the, the, the fixed structures are, are were lifted high enough to be comfortable with. Um, and it is an area of the country that does get hurricanes pretty regularly, um, you know, but again, as an RV park, there's a lot less risk as a park owner for flood zones and hurricanes than there is for a mobile home park owner, which is a much larger concern if you're buying a mobile home park. Um, so as we kept going through it, kept checking the boxes, uh, and and that's, so the next thing would have been, you know, uh, for us to go back and talk to the municipality and understand exactly how the, the inspection for, or or the expansion area would have worked, um, and what permits and and we would have had to go through, what kind of costs are associated with that. We, we had a nice budget from the current seller about what it's going to cost to build it out to each lot. But he was building more of a C-class RV park, and you know we would have been doing more of an A-class uh, RV park on that section. Um, so it would have been slightly different. But we were able to methodically go through what's this going to cost, what's that going to cost, 
check this box, check that box, talk to these people. You know, finally, we got all the point where, like, I think we're ready to write an offer. Um, and that that was pretty exciting. It was nerve wracking, but it was it was pretty exciting. And, and initially, the seller had told us, you know, I, I you know, I think we'll you know, we can cut you, you know, cut you a deal at this number. And I said, okay, let's see what we can do. And we penciled it out as best as we could. And initially we came in, you know, too low and the owner flat out rejected it. Um, and then once we really were able to talk to the mortgage people and understand more about that loan and understand more about how the rent upside would work, we were able to actually meet the seller's number that he had told us on the phone. Uh, and, and we made our offer. Uh, and that, that was pretty great. He verbally even accepted it over the phone. And, and you know, I thought we were about to do a deal. Uh, a couple of days later, you know, of course, like, you know, most of you guys have experienced, you know, somebody else offered him a number that was, you know, about 200 and something thousand dollars higher than my number. And of course, he went the other direction uh, and, and God bless him. I hope he does great with the deal. There's, you know, absolutely no hurt feelings over the deal, except it was it was a fun practice for us to go through. Um, the things that would have continued to come up had we gone under contract, you know, would have been a bit more delicate than this kind of first initial process that we went through. But because we already had the books and records, you know, we didn't have to, you know, if we went under contract, we wouldn't have had to request too much more stuff from him. But there would have been a lot of legwork on us, especially at the permitting department and going through, you know, all, all that stuff at the municipality center. Um, and uh, then, of course, getting the inspectors into place to go uh, uh, inspect all the utilities that are there and, and make sure that, you know, they're all you know working appropriately because, you know, there was, I think, you know, uh, a mixed kind of utility system that had some private uh, septic systems. And then it actually had a, a public sewer section, you know, for it as well. Um, and so there, there would have been a lot of due diligence, you know, trying to find inspectors to inspect these things, especially out in the in the boonies where this place was, uh, is, is a challenge. Um, so, you know, we would have, you know, had a 90 day contract, you know, a 60 day due diligence contract that hopefully would have given us enough time. We would have had to have ordered, you know, some some appraisals. You know, obviously the bank's going to order that for you. They're probably going to want an environmental. We would have had to go through that process. Um, and, you know, the, the 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 tax records for the park would have been the only real challenge for the bank because they didn't have the we wouldn't have been able to give them three years of full tax records for it because the owner had only owned it for a year and a half. And the guy before him was just a mom and pop who, you know, had terrible books and records. Um, but that, that was what the next stage was and, and where most people, they like us, we got pretty excited up front, like, oh, we might have a deal on our hands. Um, and then all of a sudden, As you know, should. everything starts looking golden. You know, we're like, ooh, yeah. like, we're good with, this is going to make us a lot of money. And now, now we're not thinking properly anymore. Um, and so you have to really be able to pull yourself back and say, hey, I know I really want this deal. I can just I can just taste this deal already and step back and say, geez, can can I meet this other offer? Is it worth it to us to get up to that number? Um, and am I going to now that I'm so heavily emotionally involved in this deal, am I going to make good decisions during the due diligence process about all this stuff? And you have to be able to check yourself on that stuff because it is. We probably could have made the numbers work at the end of the day. But, you know, as I told you, I, you know, we drew a line and said, this number here is the best number that we can offer. I know you might find somebody better that can, you know, offer more, but this is our best number. And because we gave that conversation to the seller, we stuck, we stood by it. We did not want to sit there and, and then negotiate against ourselves 
uh, which you know happens all the time in these type of things. And then all of a sudden this other buyer disappears and now you're stuck at a higher number anyways. You know? Restraint is so difficult in That's the stock market and everything, right? Oh, yeah, you think something's going to go to the moon and then you're already up 30% and then you don't sell it even though the statistically it's going to go down, you know, no. and you're going to no. be able to buy the dip. The same can be said. All those decisions that we make during a deal are so emotionally charged because we're starting to think about the could be's, right? Like, oh man, Glenn, we could be on this, a boat on the deck, you know, having a drink and chilling with our feet in the water, fishing, go back where you start to plan all these things and you start to create a narrative in your head that does not exist. Yep. And it's, the narrative that we create on Excel sheets, you know, is, boy, it can be scary, too, because I've seen more lies on an Excel sheet than, than anything else, you know. Um, and it's more like hopes and dreams more than lies and it's because we want to buy the deal. So we're trying to find ways to justify it. And, and your job as a buyer, especially as a new buyer, you really have to have some restraint. Um, let the other guy win if they're going to, you know, really outperform you on that deal. Um, you know, this was a great park. It was in an opportunity zone. It, there was a lot of reasons why we couldn't stretch further. But for your comfort level, for my comfort level, our number was our number. We, we, we tried getting a little bit better price. It wasn't going to work. We went to our top number and, and it seemed to work at first. But then, of course, somebody came behind us. Um, but, you know, those steps, you know, up front, like in this case, you know, there wasn't a lot of management to worry about here. It was a mom and pop. He's stepping away. We would have had to figure out the management that I had been interviewing some management companies that could have done it for, you know, for us on a turnkey type of basis. You know, we, we had to investigate some software and investigate some things like that that could help automate the process. And, and as a buyer, you got to think about these things because the management is a critical part. At a mobile home park, it's extremely critical for you guys to understand the management aspect is one of the very first things in your due diligence process. In this type of RV park, you know, it's critical, uh, but it was a bit more navigable for us, especially since we were willing to pay retail to have somebody else do it. And I know a lot of great managers in this industry. Um, So, but as a new buyer, you might not have those same connections and you might not feel comfortable paying 12, 13% full retail for for management of, of something like that. Um, and because it definitely hurts, hurts the bottom line. Yeah. So you have to understand how is it staffed properly? You know, do I have to bring on more staff? Where is that staff going to come from? Um, you know, is it are you complying with all the, the rules and regulations of that county as far as how, how often your tenants are there, how long they're staying there? Is it, you know, this, that or the other, you know, kind of stuff. And you, you have to really, as I've said a hundred times, you got to dig into the tenancy. You got to dig into the management. You got to dig into the municipality. You got to dig into the infrastructure, and you got to dig into the books and records. Those five things are paramount to your success in this industry. Um, and if it, you know, if you want the deal too bad, you might just, you know, put a check in that checkbox when it doesn't really deserve to be and, there. And that comes to knowing yourself, right? Yep. You have to know yourself. And if you don't have the emotional fortitude to stop and look the reality of the deal in the face, then you partner with someone who does. I'm someone who I'm the gas and I always have partners who are the brakes. I recommend if you cannot be a self-regulated person, you find people who are really hard brakes and it's going to piss you off a lot, but it's going to save you hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars in your career. Exactly. Exactly. And, 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 And don't kid yourself. 
as much as we think this market's going to grow, this park was the middle of nowhere. It was a little secret kind of location. And, you know, it had a lot of the red flags that maybe I would advise most people against doing on their first parks. But because I know the area, I know the seller, and I, you know, have a few ideas about what can be done, and there wasn't any competition for us to have any kind of market restriction on, on rates um, and the fact that it wasn't being marketed, you know, with, with any kind of professional agency uh, to get, you know, to I mean, get proper coverage. I felt there was a real way to, to make this work. We but, could have drove people there 100%. That, that's the thing. People don't understand. If you own the Internet, you own search, you own your line of business. And so yep. it's just about growing that out. And there's not a lot of competition, especially in that area. And all you're trying to do is pick up somebody who has a specific need. This park already had something that filled a specific need with fishing. People yep. love fishing and they need a place to hook up their RVs. So it's two things in one. We add something for the kids and we add some convenience Boom. So yeah. I didn't care where it was. It could have been as long as it wasn't in Antarctica, we could have drove people there enough to exactly. be profitable. We were in Timbuktu, but it was a good Timbuktu. You know, it was a good spot that locals really like. And, and you draw a four mile, you know, four hour drive radius around the park. There's a lot of really large markets that could be hit that people, you know, come from, you know, whatever big city to go fishing for the weekend with their you know friends or their, or their family. Um, and the people that were there, there was a lot of permanent tenants that paid all their month, all, all their annual rent all at once and things like that. And that's a real nice thing to have just, you know, from a cash flow standpoint. Um, is, is there anything special that happens at a closing like this, at a commercial closing that's different from like a residential closing that people should be aware of? Or is the closing process pretty standard? Yeah, it depends on how comfortable the bank is with the asset. You know, if it's the if they're if they're comfortable with you, and they've never done that asset class before, it's going to be hard to get through all the committee approvals and get the thing closed. Uh, and they're going to ask you know a bazillion things that might not even be very relevant, but for some reason they believe it happens. You know, it, it needs to be relevant for them. So the banking process on this is is you know they're going to order the the appraisals, right? And then you got to kind of hope that the guy that they're getting the appraisals from knows what the heck they're doing because that's going to have a big impact on, you know, on on the loan value. Um, and, you know, the, the comps are going to be extremely hard for this kind of thing for an appraiser to find because this is a, a fairly unique deal in the middle of nowhere where things just, there's not a lot of things that sell. So they would have to go on a much wider scale for looking for a similar type of asset. Um, you know, they're, they're, obviously, you got to go through the whole title search. You got to go through, you know, the whole environmental. Yeah, there's a lot of it is very much like any other asset you buy, the title, the, the all that crap, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, it's an asset class people aren't, you know, extremely knowledgeable about and banks are, are no different. So the P&Ls, they rely a lot on P&Ls from the previous owner. Um which, you know, mom and pops are just not known for having the, the cleanest books and records, right? Uh, and people, mom and pops might not report all of it properly to, you know, to the IRS. And so when, when, when they're balancing that, it can have a big, you know, a big aspect. When you're buying a house, it doesn't really work that way. But yeah. when you're buying, you know, an income asset, it does. Mom and pops, I want you to listen up. I don't care if you're mom and pop, you're big, you keep good books. The minute you buy your park, 
If you are not a good bookkeeper, hire a bookkeeper. They're so cheap. They're so cheap. You can get a good bookkeeper for under $400 a month. Somebody just to keep track of your shit and keep it organized so that it doesn't come back later because you know it's really hard and sucks really bad retroactively going back and redoing your books, right? And then even worse, you've got somebody, a real hot lead, and they want to see your books and you don't have them ready because you're not organized, the deal's going to go. You're going to miss an opportunity. Be ready, be prepared at any time. And and almost just as importantly is a lousy book and records means a lousy price, okay? Um, Because it, 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 it doesn't, help with the banks when they say, oh, well, it's only reporting X amount of, you know, NOI, even though that NOI might have all this other crap stuffed into it, that doesn't need to be there. Um, so, you know, your quality of books, your GL codes need to really be set up, your 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 rent and, and revenue uh, codes, you know, separate them all out. Don't just call it all rent, you know, separate it out. You know, you have this kind of, you know, tenant, you have that kind of tenant rent, you have this kind of you know, apartment, house, uh, storage units, you know, boat ramp fees, things like that. Separate all those revenue streams out and and and, and make it easy. And especially on the expenses, you know, don't just lump it into repairs and maintenance when it's really, you know, it, lawn, you know uh, uh, lawn care, landscaping, you know, don't just lump it into, uh, you know, it, into one category. Try and give as many categories as, as really as you can. You know, like our, our typical underwriting, you know, GL codes are going to have, you know, 15 to 20 expense, you know, uh, items and, you know, three to 10, you know, revenue items. And it's going to be broken out nicely because that's what a bank needs to see so they can understand it. And that's, you know, and then ideally you should be reporting your money to the tax man. I, I, I know nobody, you know, really likes paying the taxes, but, but I'm telling you if, you, if you, if you cut, if you try and save some money by under reporting and, you go and get a bank loan. Well, now, now you just lost money on your sale because you're not going to get the same high value if you had reported all that revenue and just had good bookkeeping from up front and shown what the, the true NOI is of this stuff. And after two years of having good records like that, you know, it's going to make your sale a lot easier uh, and, and at, at a lot higher price. I can't tell you how many times we as brokers have to discount deals, you know, by you know, a quarter point or half point, sometimes a full point or more because of the quality of books and records that are available. And you'll be less stressed because you will know where your business is at. And the biggest, the worst thing you can do as a business owner is stick your head in the sand like an ostrich and ignore the truths around you. And that's what books, good books do. They hold you accountable and they make it so other people can look and examine your business and help you purchase you for more, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, there's a reason that people do things the right way. It yeah. makes life better. And, and, the, and the deal we were looking at, they had decent books and records for mom and pop. I mean, it, 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 the, the owner, his wife, you know, would sit there every day with a with a ledger and a, and a pen and write everything in and then translate it into the, the, the QuickBooks and everything matches. And they paid all the taxes on all the revenues that they had. So at least their one year of tax returns matched all of that. And that, you know, that's going to give a lot of faith to the lenders and that's going to give a lot of faith to the buyers that, hey, things seem to be above board. Now, I really don't recommend doing pencil ledgers, uh, you know, but, you know, at least it's something that you can backtrack all the way to because as a buyer, you bet your bottom dollar, we're asking for that general ledger book in our due diligence process. 
and we want to see every stupid line item of every dollar in and every dollar out. But that doesn't and mean now, you have to write it down. There's, you know, you can do exactly. it electronically. You know, right? It makes it easier we, to do it electronically. Yeah, we. so my advice is don't ever write it down. Put it in the cloud where nothing can ever happen to it. Yeah, exactly. Because <laughs> you know what's worse than doing some than than doing something is doing something and then it being completely erased and having to do it again. Yep, <laughs> it's yep. The worst. Yeah. So, so as far as you buying your, you know, how to buy a mobile home park or in this case an RV park. Remember, again, it boils down to those five things. What you should be doing first, you find the, the deal you're looking in, and, and ideally, you're looking at a place, a location that you're already familiar with. It's near home. You understand the market and the economic drivers that are happening. Okay, so you got the location done. And then after that, you really have to think about those five things, and that's the management, the tenants, the municipality, the infrastructure, and the books and records. Um, and those things, you know, just keep a little red pen with you as you're going through everything and just mark down like this, you know, I got a question about this, I got a question about that. We also have a really great, you know, worksheet for people to use, and it's in our master class, and it's in uh, I think it's available in a couple of places that we have, but it's, you know, you, you're, you're must ask questions list. If you bought the book, you got a free copy of it. Um, you know, it's a must ask questions list. And now we have a, a full due diligence list that is not full, but it's just, it's a very extensive one. And we're not attorneys, you know, you can't rely on our stuff, all that kind of stuff, but it should give you a good head start. Um, and, you know, sit there and talk with the, with the owner. And I've known this owner for years and I'm still sitting down talking with them and, and running through my list of questions because I want to hear it from the horse's mouth and I want to write it down because I want to be able to go back to him in 30 days and ask him the same question again and see if my answer is the same again, you know, because I, you want to be able to, to, to navigate these things that way. And so, also if, if you don't want to navigate it yourself, that's what Glenn and his team do. They will help you evaluate what you're looking at. So you make a smart investment. So if it's your first time, it might be best for you to, hey, suck up. You're going to pay a little bit of money, but in the long run, you're going to have a better deal. And I yep. think that, that when you're first making a deal, do it the right way, learn from the best. And then if you think you can go out and make a deal for yourself later, do it. But that's yep. what, they, and Glenn will do this research and stuff with his team. What do you do it at no charge, right, Glenn? You at no charge. We help every buyer. I just did a nice, nice deal for a guy yesterday for a 15 space park, you know, in Mississippi somewhere. I don't mind. I'll review any deal with any buyer anytime. Same with anybody on my, um, on my team. We want to at least make sure you guys know what we think about it. And you can take our, you know, you, you can take our, our point of view or, or ditch it for all we care. But at least we're telling you what we think is, you know, kind of the valuation, kind of the upside and kind of what the debt's going to look like and some things to look out for on that deal. And uh, it's not a hard sale. Yeah, it's not I mean, a hard it's, sale. You it's, guys it's not a hard sale. It's free, right? If you choose to enlist us to represent you, then yeah, that costs a little bit of money. Uh, but if you just want our opinion on, you know, what what you're doing and what we think about what you're doing, that's what we're here for. And, you know, on that note, guys, especially for your, 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 your newbies that are out there, you know, next week we release a masterclass uh, on our website that we've taken, you know, months and months to put together. It's a, it's a, it's a huge project. Comes out, you know, next week. Um, I think it's only like a couple hundred bucks or something. And it's, you know, it's a lot of courses and, and should give you a pretty comprehensive understanding of, you know, how to buy a mobile home park, things to watch out for while you're buying mobile home park, some updated underwriting tables, some updated, you know, uh, must ask questions kind of stuff. It's a, it's a very comprehensive entry level type of course for you guys that, you know, pairs well with my book. And I think you guys will find additional value with it. 
Um, and, you know, we're here to help you guys. Yeah. Even if you didn't buy my book or buy the course, you can still give us a call yeah. and I'm still going to help you. Yeah, it's, it's free, right? Like, totally like, free. Most of the stuff is free. Only if you want to go advanced would you want to get that. And the book, come on, the book is super cheap. If you don't have it yet, go to the the Amazon and type in the Mobile Home Park Manifesto and get the book, read it. It comes with some, some free, great stuff. And like Glenn said, if you need anything at all, just hit him up. Glenn is available. His email address is gesterson at the mhpexpert.com. And your phone number, Glenn, what is it? 423-483-0492. That's my cell phone. Our company phone is 720-MHP4U. So it's MHP, like Mobile Home Park, the number four, Y-O-U. And you can you know get any of us on the phone through there as well. The, the book, by the way, the guys, if you haven't bought the book, Jason's, Jason's right. Go get the book. It's like $5 on our website. I think it's like $7 on Amazon for the digital copy. Uh, and, the, and the print copy is only like 20 bucks. So, you know, it's it's, a, it's 300 some pages. It's got, you know, 20 years of, of interesting details that I've learned as a, you know, by the time I wrote the book. And, you know, the new master class is kind of updated to, you know, today's times and pairs well with it. And, you know, we're here to help. You don't have to buy nothing from us. We're here to help anyway. So absolutely. We'll be adding stuff to the mobile home park expert website on a regular basis. Glenn, thank you so much for breaking down how to buy a mobile home park. And thank you for working so hard on our deal. I'm really sad it didn't go through, but you know what? The next one is right around the corner. Next one's right around the corner. Absolutely. Well, we will be here next week. Make sure to tune back. Make sure to share, like, and all that jazz. We will see you next time on the Mobile Home Expert Podcast. Thank you. Take care, guys.